you, Jesus. Could you put your hands together and give a great clap for the Lord? God. Praise God. You can be seated if you like. <clears throat> we are so excited about what God is going to do these next few days, a couple of days. Amen. You know, Brother Green and I were talking on the way here, and we discovered that this is the 10th time he has been here. Every year since 2010, 13, so seven times. Oh, man, <clears throat> I went to Pierce City High School. You can be, you can be proud of that. <clears throat> but we are, we are so thrilled that they are here. From the first time, the very first time they came, that it just seemed like they connected with this church. And uh, they are the evangelists for this church. We've declared it. Amen. So glad to have Sister Green with us. <clears throat> and Brother Green texted me and a couple of three months ago and said, can Sister Green come with me? And I said, absolutely. Amen. So we are so glad that she is here. He always works better when she's here. And so uh, uh, let's just, if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes just for a moment, bowing your heads. Let's prepare our hearts for the Word of God. I feel like it is so very, very important. Lord Jesus, God, we prepare our hearts, Lord, for your Word, Lord Jesus. Speak into our spirits, Lord Jesus. Speak into our minds and into our hearts, Lord, this night, God. Oh, Lord Jesus, let us hear clearly the word of the Lord that you would speak to us as individuals, Lord, and a body, Lord Jesus, I pray, oh, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord. Brother Green, so honored that you're here. Come take your liberty. Praise the Lord, everyone. Man, what a thrill to be back with you here, Sanctuary, and also with our great friends. Uh, love and appreciate Pastor so much, the McBrides, him and his bride, MacBride and bride. And also, we, of course, love Pastor Jason, his bride. And uh, what a privilege to be with Pastor Jeff and his bride. <laughs> Some of you know that story. And uh, what a privilege uh, it was for them to be. We had such a great time with, in Africa with them. They brought to, to mention to our team that uh, we're so thankful that they were there. And uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I'm, I'm feeling a press in my spirit tonight um, to go somewhere in the spirit, to, to move in the Holy Ghost for the sake of, for the sake of a, an atmosphere of restoration, an atmosphere of renewal to be 
to be upon us both tonight and also tomorrow. And uh, I want to, by way of, I guess, qualification, let you know that I spoke briefly about a concept in Siloam Springs four years ago and used a couple of these concepts. But I want to bring it into fullness tonight and let there be a word that will go forth, a sure word, so that you can hear the direction of God, know the anointing of the Spirit tonight. And then there's going to be impartation, so you will operate, those that are hungry and desire, you will operate in gifts of the Spirit tonight. And faith will be spoken, and at the end of this, there will be a loosing of certain dimensions of restoration and a spirit of renewal for us in this weekend. So I'm going to talk about power prayers and direct your attention to James chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. I love it that you stand. It's just a beautiful traditional sign of respect as we read the text for the Word of God today. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. He prayed again. The heaven gave rain. The earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. That's a powerful ministry mentioned in verse 20. That if you can convert somebody that's missed the mark, you shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude, a multitude of sins. Talking about power prayers. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me reiterate again, I'm just going to lay a foundation in sermon or message. So listen so you can understand where we're going. Then I'll speak a word of faith and there'll be an impartation. So go with me in the spirit to let God use you and impart to you ministry so that gifts of the spirit can operate and renewal and restoration is what I'm feeling so strongly for this weekend. This is a traditional uh, text that for years we have read and promises here of healing for the child of God, miracles for the people of God. But I want to bring a thread out here that perhaps you've not seen more complete within the entire 13 through 20 that I have read to you and you're hearing today. So if I'm looking at the first verse, verse 13, is any among you afflicted? Then I'm going to pull that thread that we'll find all the way down here in verse 18 or, or verse 17 that it talks about fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
that there's fervency, that there's effectual when you're passionate in your prayer, that there's a dimension you go to of of efficiency, of, of, uh, of working, of happening, of coming to pass when you can move into places of passion. So is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. So in context, what the writer James is telling us here is that if you are afflicted, that means if you have a battle or you've got a circumstance of life, that has come against you, and it is a pain in your side, it is a thorn in your flesh, then use the passion of that affliction to pray. If the enemy has come against your home, then don't just cower up, but stand up in the Holy Ghost and say, enemy, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Get, get mad. Get angry. Get passionate. Let the affliction of where you're at use you to have passionate, powerful prayers. So this thread continues on in verse 13. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Now, from the King James Version, these are words that we don't use much in our language. Merry and psalms. But he's just simply saying this. If you happen to be maybe the other side of the spiritual spectrum and you woke up this morning a smile is on your face and you couldn't help it and you're whistling about heaven all day long and the joy of the Lord is upon you then when you get to church tonight for goodness sake, dance lift up your voice, clap smile because we need that. Use the joy of the Lord. Use, use the goodness of God upon you to show forth praises and worship and let joy be moving in the place. And he continues on with this thread of using your life situations for your passion in prayer and in worship. When he says, is any sick among you? Then we call for the elders of the church, let them pray over him, etc. Now, I am assuming that you're a little bit like me. And when I'm sick... I have a difficult time being passionate in prayer. Matter of fact, I don't even want to pray. I'm sorry. I don't want to sing. I don't want to pray. I, I want to be left alone except for Luscious. You know, she, she can come and put the cool towel on my fevered brow and love on me. Lois to you, Luscious to me, right? So glad she's in the house today. Some of you look at me like, what is a Luscious? I just want my wife to take care of me, and, and I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like being passionate. But he's saying, if you are sick, then call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anoint him, all in the name of the Lord. Now, we have made a tradition out of this verse, and I'm by no means against this tradition. I love it when people come down to the front. And we take the anointing oil and pray for them. And the elders pray the prayer of faith and healings and miracles happen. But in context, there's a principle here that we have to understand. Do you remember in the Gospels when Jesus went to the house of Simon the Pharisee? And there he was uh, with his disciples and also Martha and Lazarus was there. But during this supper... Mary Magdalene comes in with her alabaster box. Do you remember the story? And she anoints his head and his feet and dries his feet with her hair. And after this has happened, Simon is indignant. Why would Jesus let this woman do this? And Jesus makes this statement to Simon. He said, Simon, when I came into the house, you did not meet me with a washcloth and a basin to wash my feet. 
Because at the time, that was a, a strong cultural welcoming. They walked in sandal feet almost everywhere they went. Dusty streets that are not paved. And when they ate, it was at a table that was either lying on the ground, a blanket on the ground, or perhaps a pallet just a few inches off the ground. And they reclined on pillows. So their dusty, sweaty, maybe stinky feet was out beside them, very close to the individual that they were sitting beside. So it's very customary at the time that when you have a celebration like what's happening here at Simon's house, that the servant of the house or even the host of the house would meet you and wash your feet as a sign of, of welcoming and showing respect for you. Jesus goes on to say, you also didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has not ceased to anoint from the time she came into the room. This is also a customary situation because according to what I have read in some rabbinical writings, that um, it was customary that when you had a celebration that celebrated an individual, that when they came in the door, you would anoint them with oil, perfumed oil, so that everybody that hugged their neck or shook their hand or talked to them would know this individual is the reason why this party's happening. That there's something special. We're celebrating this individual. And so this was the custom of the time. And so what we're finding here in James speaking about this custom. And he's saying there can be a place that if you are sick and you call for the leaders or the, <coughs> excuse me, the elders <coughs> of the church and if they feel in the Holy Ghost that God wants to do something special for you then they will anoint your head with oil and everybody that shakes your hand and hugs your neck will know God's going to do something special for you in the house that there's a purpose that you're here he's going to do a miracle for you he's going to bless you so thread of what we're seeing here is the passion and when you are sick and you can't be passionate for yourself, now you let the leaders come together and they can pull their passion, their anointing, their fervency for you. In fact, this continues on. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Again, there's some religious groups that have made this a ritual where they have confessional booths and confessional services and, and confessional fathers, even though the scripture tells us call no man father. They still have that. And there are a lot of rituals that are made. But in context, it's telling us this, this word false, confess your faults does not necessarily mean sin, but it's a Greek word that means your circumstance of life, what's happening to you. So when you come together, you share with somebody what you're struggling with, what you're battling, what God has given you in revelation. And when you come together, you confess your situations of life. And if my passion's not enough, then you can be passionate because you love me. And when we confess to one another where we're living, what we're dealing with, what we're struggling, what God's doing in us and through us, then we can have passion together to be effectual and to be fervent. Now, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much is the last part of verse 16 there, which speaks about confessing your faults so that you might be able to pull together with passion for the sake of healing. Then in verse 17, 18, he begins to talk about Elijah, a man subject to like passions as we are. Yet he prayed and it did not rain for three and a half years. He prayed again, then the rain came from heaven and brought forth its fruit. And I think traditionally we have often looked at this scripture and said, see, 
Elijah deals with things just like we do, but yet he was powerful, even supernatural. He was over the natural as he spoke things of God. But in context, what this is saying is Elijah didn't have any more passion than we do. The context is saying, use your passion to be powerful in prayer. Whatever situation you're in, your affliction, your joy, use that. Confess to one another. Pull the leaders together. And then he said, Elijah didn't have any more passion than you do. But he learned how to focus his passion. So that when he came into the city or the town, or the village, and began to speak. He was very passionate about the situation and the circumstance, and because of his fervency, he was effectual in prayer. You see, uh, the world today, the enemy of your soul, wants to steal your passion. If you think about what the world offers, it is um, fictitious experiences to take your passion. Now, I enjoy sports and entertainment as much as the next individual. But if you get consumed with that, this passion you have to want to seek out a hero, to want to seek out something that is bigger and larger than life seemingly, you'll put it on a team or an individual instead of God. And nothing wrong with entertainment in its proper place. But if we're not careful, it will steal our passion. It'll steal our worship. It'll steal our adoration until we have the names of certain athletes on the tip of our tongue but cannot begin to speak the names of God. Hollywood gives us stories that are not true stories. They're fiction. They're fake. And they will take us on these rides of passion of love. Found love. Whoo! Miscommunication. Unrequited love. And then they tie the ribbon at the end of the story and they get back together and they ride off in the sunset happily ever after, right? And you have gone on this experience of a story where you have been passionate, tears have maybe even been in your eyes as you felt love in your spirit and then you were hurt and you were broken and you were sad and then it tied it back together and you had an experience of passion that was just fake, fictitious. And again, entertainment is fine in its place. But what our world tries to do is to focus you toward careers and entertainment and pursuit of everything the world can offer until when you come to God, you have no passion in prayer. You have no passion in worship. You don't have no passion in the Word of God. Your passion is consumed everywhere else. So what Elijah learned to do, he actually lived outside of the city. Society did not pull on him like it did on individuals. So when he came into the city, he was full of passion, full of anointing. So the context that James is telling us here is that you can be very powerful in prayer. But you have got to somehow stir a passion within you from your circumstance of life, from your situation, from where you are in God. And just get downright angry at what the enemy's doing. Just, just get overjoyed what God is doing. Just be consumed at the vision of what God is speaking and join together with the church in passion, passion, prayer. In fact, you'll find that this is absolutely how Jesus prayed. Hebrews 5 and 7 says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong cries and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was hurt and that he feared. 
prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears. And it was heard in that he feared. When he saw that bitter cup, he used the passion of where he was, not wanting to become sin, not wanting to drink that cup in the garden, but saying, not my will, but thy will. And now he can walk his walk of passion and can go to the cross and can be that spotless lamb, can go to a whipping post for our healing because his passionate prayer gave him the liberty to have the will of God in his life. Luke declares this. That when he prayed, 2244, he sweated, as it were, great drops of blood. That's passionate prayer. So consumed with anointing and intercession that as he's praying, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. But this is not just a few places in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you look close, you'll see that this is Jesus' habit and the way he prayed. I learned to, I learned to pray. And I think that's key. I learned to pray mostly in pre-service prayer rooms and in called prayer services in the church. Because when we would come together to pray, I, I'd go over there beside Brother Raider because Brother Raider came to God late in life. And he was alcoholic. His family was destroyed and lost. His wife was in a different place than he was in God. Gave him the Holy Ghost, filled his wife, his kids with the Holy Ghost, pulled his family back. Beautiful. But when Brother Raider began to pray, he, he put his face in the carpet. Tears just flowed down his face. And he'd be saying, God, I don't even deserve to be here. Why would you love an old sinner like me? But I'm so thankful and grateful. I want to learn to live for you all the days. Of, and something about the passion. And the thankfulness and the gratefulness of how he prayed wanted me to be able to pray like that. I go beside Brother Jack White. He was a Sunday school teacher of mine, and, and he, he was so cool. He just, he'd pull a chair up and face the corner, and he'd just start talking to Jesus like Jesus was right in the corner. Jesus, I've had a great day today. I so appreciate you did this and just talking to him. And I'm like, my goodness, I... I'd sure like to know the Lord like that where I can just talk to him about normal everyday things and he would be there all the time. I want and so I'd act like I was praying. I'd get over there and every once in a while I'd do an oh God, you know. But I'm listening to Jack White because I, I want to hear what he's saying. I, I want to pray that way. I get over beside Sister Steinman. She's a modern-day prophetess, powerful, deep lady of God. And I listened to her pray because there was something about the depth of the spiritual anointing. And I learned to pray and to hunger to pray by being around people that knew how to pray that way, who were honest and passionate and powerful in their prayer. In fact, we have the Lord's Prayer here, but it may be if I could show it in a different light. Jesus is praying, and the disciples are seeing the passion of him praying. And when he got through praying, they said the same thing. They're like, man, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples, so you teach us to pray. And so he gave them the Lord prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, I, I love that we have taken in just the recent years and broke down this prayer and given us a guidance of how to pray. But I think maybe just as important is not a how-to, but a desire to and a hunger to. Because when you position yourself like this prayer says to position yourself, that first of all, our Father, which means I'm His child. 
And your name is hallowed and lifted up. When you begin to position yourself, it makes you want to pray to a God that wants to be your father, who has all power and all anointing in his hand. It should put a passion within you. In fact, Jesus often ministers from this place of passion. The word we see in the King James is he's moved on with compassion. And then he heals the sick. This word compassion means passionate care. Passionate love. It's not speaking of just a fleeting emotion. But something comes upon him that breaks his heart. For that widow who has taken her son. Her dead son now to his grave. And he's moved on with a burden and a passion. And he stops the funeral and raises the son. Can I tell you how much he cares about your daily bread? That he has moved on with compassion for the 5,000 men, not including the men and women that have nothing to eat as he's teaching them. So he takes the little lad's lunch and breaks it and blesses it because he's moved on with compassion that they're hungry and they're fainting. Passion. I have quickly discovered that passion is exhausting. <coughs> It drains you. In fact, the word that is translated virtue in the New Testament is the word Greek word dunamos, from which we get the word dynamite or power. And when that woman with the issue of blood touches the hem of his garment, the scripture said that power, virtue, flowed from him. Now, it is said, and I concur, that if you preach apostolic Pentecostal style for one hour, then it's like working a... a Menial or labor job for eight hours. And I, I feel that way when I am finished preaching. That I have given myself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and it's tiring. But when I began to move in the Holy Ghost and gifts of the Spirit flow, and I'm ministering to individuals in an altar or in gifts of the Spirit, to me it feels like I'm working double overtime. It's literally virtue. Physical virtue, power, spiritual energy is flowing from you. Emotionally, it is exhausting and it leaves you spent. This is why we find Jesus ministering and then going away to the mountainside. Sending the disciples across the sea and being by himself. Because he's finding a place to renew his passion and to renew his energy so that he can be powerful and effective in prayer, power and effective in ministry. So understand that this thread that we've seen in James is very much throughout the scriptures. It's throughout the gospel. Jesus operated in power and his flesh depleted, not his spirit, not God, but his flesh was depleted emotionally and physically, and I would say spiritually as well. Now, setting that foundation, I, I want you to look with me also into 1 Corinthians. And I'm taking you to chapter 12, which uh, we would know is the gifts of the Spirit, so that impartation can happen here in just a little while. In verse 1, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth and indeed to us today when he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. <laughs> this is something we probably have ignored for a couple of generations. That it's not the will of God for us to be ignorant about gifts of the Spirit. 
God wants us to understand them, to know them, to operate in them, to let them move supernaturally through us for the sake of our blessing and for the sake of ministry. Then he gives a good, good caution. You know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols. Now, anytime that you see the scripture referring to the Gentiles and their nature or their habit, need to perk up because most of us are Gentiles, right? We're not Jewish. Maybe a few are, but most of us are Gentile. So our traditional way, what we have to fight and what we have to battle is this Gentile way, this nature. And Paul said that we're carried away with dumb idols. So the nature of the Gentile is to make some idols out of the gifts of the Spirit. Even people that have given themselves in hunger for gifts of the Spirit to somehow put them on a pedestal or to lift them up, when in reality, the Scripture lets us know anyone that's filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost can operate in a gift of the Spirit. So it's important that we don't get this out of place. I, I am constantly dealing with this in church services where gifts of the Spirit begin to move. I have to make sure that we're not making it into some kind of entertainment thing. Then we're not thinking that this is going to be some scintillating, whoo, spooky, wow, let's see something happen. But this is the Spirit of God loving and blessing people supernaturally. So uh, understanding that we shouldn't make it to lift it up above a place where God is in our life. Then he says, I want to give you understanding, and understanding is important to us. Now, gifts of the Spirit are began to be listed here, and I'm not going to hit them. I'm going to jump right down to where we're at. Uh, verse 10, another, the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, often in our culture, our Pentecostal culture, we put these two last gifts together, diversities of tongues or diverse kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues, because that's how there's had a liberty to operate in our services. Someone will give a tongue, someone will translate the tongue or interpret the tongue, Right? But these are separate gifts of the Spirit. And I want you to see this word divers. Divers kinds of tongues. Now just the fact that it's divers lets us know it's not one tongue, but it's many. It's a plethora. Several. Now divers here is italicized in the King James Version. That lets us know that it's not a direct translation from the Greek. There's no word there that says divers directly. However, it's giving understanding to what the phrase of the Greek words would be translated. And it's very strong in its context, giving us understanding. But mouth of two or three witness, let me show you verse 28. Paul is speaking about uh, gifts of um, prophets and teachings and miracles, gifts of healing, helps, governments. And then lastly, in verse 28, he says diversities of tongues. So we had diverse kinds of tongues mentioned in the first part of chapter 12 and diversities of tongue mentioned in verse 28. So that's just a confirmation that there's more than one tongue. It's not just one tongue, but there's many tongues that God can give us. And this is a supernatural gift so that we can operate supernaturally for a blessing in our life and for ministry in what God has called us into. So... Let me lay this foundation. Verse 4 of chapter 12 says diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. 
So that lets us know that in these nine gifts of the Spirit listed here, they're diversified. That means each and every one of them can operate perhaps in several different diversities. All right? He continues on by saying differences of administration. Verse 6, diversities of operation. So what he's saying is different individuals will operate in these gifts differently. And it would be administered to certain individuals in different ways. So it would be ignorant and erroneous, according to the word of God, to feel like the gifts have to operate just one way. In fact, God, uh, in dealing with me operating gifts of the Spirit, He works very much in my understanding that comes from my limited understanding because of my background. It's also he works within my personality. He's always stretching me in personality, but he works within my personality. He works within my past experiences, in my memory banks. He works within what I have, and so he has to give it to me in such a way that I understand it, and so I can give it to you. <clears throat> so this is why diversities of gifts, differences of operation, and differences of administration. So when I begin to speak to you about diverse kinds of tongues, what I can speak here is my experience. All right? I can give you how the Holy Ghost has led me and guided me and directed me. I can share with you how that God has given me to administer and to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. So I'm not giving you here the one way, only way. I'm sharing with you my experience as the Holy Ghost has allowed me to operate within this. Now, for me, and I think that most of you will know and remember this, I have learned to stir the gift of God. Paul told Timothy, there's gifts in your life, but it doesn't matter how many gifts are in your life. You've got to stir the gift that's within you. And I have learned what stirs the gift of God for me is worship. So when I worship, then the gift of God begins to stir in me. My passion begins to stir. My virtue begins to stir. And where God has led me in ministry begins to flow and begins to operate. Now, in the setting of a church service, I find that that is what gives me liberty as well. Not just my worship, but your worship. So when a church gives themselves to worship, not, not saying words of tradition that we've said before, but you're letting your heart connect with God. And you're just expressing yourself in spirit and in truth, your prayer, your worship. Then that's a liberty. And I begin to see things and, and know things and operate that way in the spirit because you're stirring the gift in the church service for me. All right. So when worship is happening, I need to look into people. Now, this seems like maybe a strange statement or a little spooky, but literally this is what the scripture is saying. Oftentimes the Bible says that Jesus beheld him. If you look at that Greek word, it means he stared intently into him. It's not just glancing at somebody and seeing the color of their hair, but it's while they're worshiping and the gift is flowing. Look into them. See them more than a face and hair and clothes. But see them as the Holy Ghost will reveal to you in the Spirit. And so while I am beholding individuals that are worshiping, then the gifts begin to operate. And God does this for me this way. He gives me knowledge. Now I've heard some friends that I have talk about seeing, you know, words over people's heads. I don't, I don't see words over people's heads. Or numbers or, or you know, things like that. I, I don't see that. 
But the way that God gives me a word of knowledge or a prophetic or a gift of faith is that as I'm looking into you, as you're worshiping and I'm worshiping, I just have a knowledge. It's like a memory, like it's always been there for me. It's just there. All of a sudden, I know this word of knowledge. It's, it's there. It's already there. And because it's there, then I'm seeking the presence of God. How to take this word of knowledge at the right time, at the right place, so you can receive it best, so the faith of the church will be uplifted best, and I'm operating there in ministry. So uh, just to bring you in differences of operation, difference of administration. So now we're going to focus on this diverse kinds of tongues. And, and so you're not confused, let me go ahead and hit a couple of these tongues. The first tongue that is a diverse kind or diversities of tongues is um, evidence tongue. You cannot operate in any gifts of the Spirit unless you're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. According to the New Testament teaching, that's how we operate in our Testament covenant, right? you got to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And once you have the Holy Ghost, you have already spoken your evidence tongue. You're repentant of your sin. You're baptized in Jesus' name. You receive the Holy Ghost evidence by speaking another tongue. So your evidence tongue is the first time you receive the Holy Ghost. That's evidence that you've been filled with the Holy Ghost as you speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Evidence tongue. And I have heard some... Uh, different sounding evidence tongues. And it's not just because I've traveled, you know, several different continents and preached in revivals across seas. It's, um, it's that people are people. And in their yielding to the power and the presence of God, sometimes their liberty to yield is different. And understand that they are being born again. So they're brand new babies in Christ trying to talk. And their evidence tongue sometimes is strange. So if I'm praying for someone and I'm, I'm completely submitting to pastor, if he teaches it a different way, just forget everything I say and whatever he teaches, right? So when I'm praying for someone in the altar and I believe I'm hearing them speak in a language that is not of their understanding, but it's evidence of the Spirit filling their life, then I will ask them afterwards, did you hear yourself speaking some things you didn't understand? Because sometimes it sounds like, you know, a Christmas song. La 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 la, or some commercial for Febreze, you know. If you listen to Pandora, you know what I'm talking about. It's like every ten minutes. And so, uh, sometimes when they're speaking, they're learning to yield. It's their first time. So I want them to know I heard myself and I yielded to the experience of God that was upon me. So if they say yes, I encourage them and say, I think I heard you speak in tongues too. I'm celebrating with you. That's awesome. I want to encourage you to keep doing that because the more you pray in the Spirit, you build up your most holy faith, your joy, your peace. So it's not something you need to do one time. You need to do it all the time. Right? So if I ask them and they say, no, I'm not sure whether I thought they did or not, I will encourage them right at the place where they are. It was all over you. Power of God was so strong, man. You made such great steps of faith. You just press a little further. It's going to be there. Pray at home. Pray in the car. Pray in the shower. God's going to fill. And just give them faith where they're at, okay? So evidence tongue. The first tongue that you speak when you receive the Holy Ghost, it's evidence that you have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the first tongue that I'd speak about. Secondly, there is an edifying tongue. 
And you'll see this spoken about a lot. Even in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you'll see Paul talking about edif uh, edification tongue. Also, we find that Jude speaks about that. But you, beloved, building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, building up, edifying, encouraging, strengthening. Because throughout the day, you are bombarded by the world's ideology and the torments of the enemy. And when you come in here or you come to your personal place of devotion, you have been fighting battles and you need to be strengthened and built back up and renewed. So God has given you a supernatural weapon that you can go to your prayer language. You can go to your worship language and just pray in the spirit and it will build you up. Right? Now, how many of you uh, experience it like I do? That when I'm just praying my personal devotion and I'm praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Spirit, I, I, my understanding is unfruitful, of course, as the Scripture says, but oftentimes I can hear myself maybe saying a syllable that I heard before. My language sounds familiar. Does that sound crazy? Do you know what I'm talking about? A few nods. Okay, we know what we're talking about. That is a familiar language that I go to. That I'm not letting my mind engage in what I'm trying to say out of my tongue. But I'm letting my spirit engage and just flow in the Holy Ghost. Now, edifying means to build you up. I have also discovered that when I am deplenished of ministry, of virtue, that if I pray in this language, my personal prayer language to God, my worship language in the spirit or in tongue, it gives me strength. It builds me back up. And this is very important for us to understand. You'll operate that in just a moment. So the first one we're speaking about is evidence. Second is your building up or your edification tongue. Thirdly, I would speak very briefly because I want to get to two important ones. Briefly about what I am going to call a declaring tongue. And then I'm not going to speak about it because I know that you've had instruction. I'm not going to speak about diversities of tongues for interpretation of tongues. Okay. So the interpretation that is spoken in church service, and let me just say this, that anytime you're leading a group of God's people, there has to be a submission to the proper timing, to the proper authority, to the proper procedures, and even platform. My belief is platform standards because you're leading in tongues or interpretation of tongues, a congregation for the direction of God. So we need to be very understand, submitted, or you'll have no authority regardless of what gift you operate in. Okay, so another tongue that we have, and it moves on me like this. When I'm praying, and I'm opening myself up to ministry as I'm praying, I begin to receive a burden, and it feels literally like a weight has come upon me. Not physically, but spiritually, I feel heavy. And I feel like there's a, a load I need to get under. I need to I need to get my shoulders under the load. I need to pick that up. I need to carry it. I need to carry it. That's what I'm feeling. I feel drawn by the Spirit. I feel like the Holy Ghost is drawing me into this place of deep prayer. This, we often call this intercession. It's standing in the gap for something else. And so when I begin to feel that, then I begin to let the Spirit direct not only um, my prayer, but my language. So I will begin to speak differently the spirit language that i've been pre that i've been praying begins to change it doesn't sound like it used to 
And for a declaring tongue, this is the way I feel it. I feel like that I have got under the burden. And as I'm praying that God has ushered me in to the throne room. And I'm standing right before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he extends me a scepter. And it's like he invites me. Come stand right beside me. Now you speak. Now you start declaring what is not as though it is. Now you start speaking things in the spirit. You start loosening things in the spirit. And I might not fully understand here, but I feel like that I've been given a position of great authority to speak. Just like the words of the king would speak. He's given me a scepter and now I'm beginning to speak. And what I'm speaking, things will begin to change. And my words sound different. They are very much with authority. They are declaring. They, they are bold. They are anointed. And I can feel the anointing upon me so strong as I begin to move in that. And I will have a time and a space when he has given me that position, if you will. And then I'll feel like it's been depleted. It's done. And so I'll step back. Never try to push that further than what the Holy Ghost is leading and guiding you for. Amen. So two other tongues, and this is where we're going to go in impartation. Uh, one begins an intercession for me. I get under the load. And now I feel a warring spirit, a mighty man of valor, a, a warrior's tongue that is coming upon me. And I know I am fighting the enemy of the city where I'm at. Or I'm coming against something that's coming against my home or against the leadership of my church. And I find myself speaking in the spirit or in tongues differently. It's not that language that builds me up, but it's forceful and it sounds more guttural. I find myself swinging my fist. And I've got a look on my face and I'm praying in the Holy Ghost and I know that I'm fighting and I'm loosing in the spirit. So how, how many of you feel like that you have touched that at some time in your devotion with God? Okay, I, I want to pray for you right now and let worship begin to move across this place. Let me give you understanding. As you worship, I'm going to lead you. And from your worship, when the gift begins to operate, then I'm going to loose you into just praying in the Holy Ghost. And when you pray in the Holy Ghost, go to that familiar tongue. Pray in the Spirit like you normally do. And let it build you up. And once we're praying in the Spirit and I feel a liberty, then I'm going to loose by impartation a gift of diverse kinds of tongues for the sake of battle. Mighty men of valor, warrior's tongue. And when I loose that with a gift of faith and speak the name of Jesus, I'm immediately going to go into that tongue and I'm going to start fighting for some battles that I have already felt since I have been in this region. Fighting for what I'm speaking to you about, the renewal and the restoration that I feel God wants to do. Just fighting to take back what the enemy has stole and to take back. And you're going to hear the passion, the anointing of what's happening. And once you hear it, if you've been there before, go with me. If you have never been in prayer before, but you desire to be used in the spiritual anointing, go with me because there will be an impartation. And if you never have but you hunger, <coughs> excuse me, ask God to use you. And there will be just a little time we'll move into that. Now, I'm not going to keep you long on it. Just a few seconds, maybe 30, 45 seconds. Then I'm going to bring you back down and talk to you about it a little more. And then we'll move to another diverse kinds of tongue, okay? Are you with me? We good, Pastor? All right. So let's just right now just begin to worship. Really connect with God. Connect with God. My God. Who is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man? 
but you have crowned us with glory and honor and made us a little lower than the <laughs> What a God, what a God. Whoo! <laughs> Let worship be there. Let worship be there. That's it. Go ahead and yield to the Spirit. It's already upon you. Just pray in your normal tongue. That's it. Build yourself up right now in the Spirit. Okay, now here we go. Keep that atmosphere. Here we go. By the authority of the Word of God. And that you have sent me here to loose diverse kinds of tongues. I speak the name of Jesus Christ over this congregation. Receive a warrior's tongue in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody fight. Come on, somebody fight for your family. Come on, fight for your Fight for tomorrow's service. Fight for tomorrow's Okay, okay, okay. Okay, hold that gift. The scripture lets us know that the gift is subject to the prophet. You can hold the gift. You can determine the time and the place where you operate in that gifting. I want you to realize right now, those of you who went with me in this gift of the Spirit, how exhausting that is. Brother Billy Cole taught us this little understanding because his wife, Shirley, was a tremendous intercessor. But when God would call her to intercede, she would lay on the floor beside her bed by the hour. She felt somehow that if she lifted up or gave an opportunity uh, that the enemy was going to take control. But battles are not fought that way. Battles are fought in waves. Charge for a wave. Retreat to regroup, to get a new plan, to come forward again. Charge again. And this is why we have that edifying tongue. Because when God calls us to fight in the spirit, it's exhausting. Get to the spirit is operating through you in this flesh cannot handle that but just a little bit and so when you begin to fight and you feel virtue flowing from you you'll feel a wave of the spirit to give yourself an intercession give yourself in warrior tongue and then there'll come an ebb tide comes in then it ebbs or flows out and when that passion is not as strong then that's the time for you to pray in your own language because that builds you back up that edifies you just right now just let that tongue that edifies you just begin to be yeah, can you feel it already? There's a strengthening that comes with that. There's a strengthening that comes with that. Beautiful, beautiful. In fact, now let, let me speak to you just a little more. In fact, this is how the Spirit operates among us. It always comes in waves. In the pre-service prayer, there'll be a wave of powerful anointing that begins to settle upon a few individuals, and it'll just whoo, wave across the whole congregation, and you'll hear people's voice lifted up as their anointing is fresh, and they feel it, and they're strong, and they're praying. And then there'll come an ebb, and when that ebb happens, we're supposed to get our strength back, renew ourselves in the Holy Ghost. We just set back so that when we are called again to charge, we can, and we're renewing that in the Spirit. Church is the same way. In worship services, there'll be a wave of the Spirit. 
that will come in and liberty will be easy for us to worship. And there will be a flow of the spirit and worship is there and a wave will be there. And oftentimes in our worship service, it will just kind of ebb back. Some churches will sing into two or three waves. Some churches will just try to hit one good wave in their worship. In the preaching, there will just be instruction. But in the altar service, there should be waves. Too often, we come down to an altar service and respond to the pull of God. And we get that one wave upon us. And once that wave resides, we get up and grab our pocketbooks and, you know, go to Shoney's or Culver's. I'm not connecting, am I? Perkins. I'm way away from where I'm supposed to be. Taco Bell. That's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so we, we, we just get up and leave the altar and go. When so many times God wants to send a second wave. And if you'll learn to linger in the altar, there'll be a flow that comes the second time. And the third time, if you'll linger, and more than getting a good splash and getting good wet, you'll get a saturation. And it'll be more than just having the Spirit of God upon you. It'll become something that is within you. And you'll be more effective in what you received in that week because you got a greater saturation. So understand there's waves, flows of the Spirit, moves, brooding of the Holy Ghost. All right. The second tongue happens to me like this that I'm speaking, or the, the fifth one actually, happens to me like this. I'm called in travail, feel a burden. But this time, when I begin to pray in the Spirit, there is something within me that is trying to be birthed. I call this a travail or a birthing tongue. And uh, I'm going to be very general but very honest with you that this does not just happen. But there has to be some time and some place when you and God have had an intimate time and there's been a seed planted in your spirit and you have carried that in your soul and it has changed you. Every time you go to pray, you keep praying about that dream, that promise. You keep praying about that thing God has put in your spirit. You keep praying about that anointing, that purpose. You keep, it just changes the way that you act and live. And there will come a time in the spirit where God will call you to birth what has been planted in you into the physical realm from the spiritual realm. And that calling is the travail like of childbirth. But in this place today, if that's been planted in you or not, there'll be an impartation so you can touch it. And then God can do that for you in your ministry in the future to come. So this is going to be very different sounding than the warrior tongue. So as we go to worship right now, please listen. As we begin to move into that impartation, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to speak the name of Jesus. Then I'm going to move into that diversity of tongue for birthing, for travailing, okay? And I want you to understand this. Whatever God has planted in your heart, I want you to be able to pray with passion from that to travail. And you'll catch the spirit of it. So right now, just let worship go from one side to the other. Connect with God. Connect with God. Connect with God at worship. <sighs> Oh, God. Ah, <laughs> uh, That's it. Go ahead and pray in the Spirit. You're there. Pray in the Spirit. Just, just your normal prayer. Come on, connect a little more. Focus just a little more. We're there. We're there. <clears throat> okay, now here we go. Listen carefully. 
God, by the authority of your word and that you have sent me here to speak a diverse kinds of tongues. I loose across this congregation an impartation that they who hold within their spirit what you have planted in their heart might begin to travail in the Holy Ghost and let a travailing spirit of tongues be upon us right now in the name of Jesus. That's it, some of you are touching it. That's it, some of you right there, right there, right there, right there. Okay. Now move right back into that tongue that edifies you. Go back into that prayer of the Spirit that edifies you. And get your strength back. Get back into that edifying prayer and get your strength back. Okay, listen to me. I'm finished. We're, we're about to have an altar service. Some of you have been operating in some gifts of the Spirit for a long time, and you didn't recognize it because perhaps it wasn't shown to you as a diversity of tongues. But as you've gone into prayer, the Spirit has led you, and you have begun to pray with that kind of prayer. Some of you have done that in your personal time. Some of you have done that in prayer services. Some of you have done that in altars for people that you were praying for and with. My brother and sister tap her on the shoulder so you, she knows I'm talking to you guys. Yes. I see a fresh intercession coming upon you for them lost loved ones. But there's a passion that is not just yours. But right now as this church is seeing within you a passion, a burden that you have, we're letting you confess your situation to the church. We're letting you bring this to us. And there's a compassion rising up in me to pray for your loved one. There, there's an anointing that's moving upon this congregation to be able to give themselves and pray. And we'll be passionate together for the sake. My South African sister, forgive me, I'm terrible with names. Girl, there is a ministry of restoration upon you. A ministry of restoration. And God has brought you with a time, with a focus, with an intent in this weekend that he's going to use your prayers and your worship and your ministry for restoration and renewal and anointing to flow. Receive it in Jesus' name. Understand that you are the child of God. And he has had you come as a weeping intercessor for a long time. So understand the value and the purpose of what you have been doing in prayer. And know that he's lifting you up today and saying, you are my called. You are my anointed. You are my child. <clears throat> just let worship flow for just a little longer. You can pray in the spirit if you want. Just pray in the spirit. Beautiful. Would you stand with me? <clears throat> There's yet another level of prodigals coming home. 
there is yet another level of harvest and revival in this region. But I feel like we're at a place spiritually where if we just travail one more time, push one more time, that if we, that if we'll begin to fight and use the gifts of the Spirit that God has given us, Okay, let me lead you in this altar. Let me lead you in this altar call. To have compassion on a lost and dying world and prodigals and those that need restoration, you need to behold them. You need to look into them. So in this place to be able to fight and to operate the gifts of the Spirit like God wants us to, we have to see them. You have to see family members that drugs and alcohol are destroying. you got to see the sin of immorality that's destroying marriages and families. You've got to see the work of the enemy in our reach. And when you begin to see people, then you'll be moved on with compassion and operate. So I want you to, as you pray for our city and for our revival, to see people, see the sin, see the devastation. But I want you to put this into practice in this place, in this sanctuary today. And I'm going to lead you one more time, last time. I'm going to lead you in worship in just a moment, not yet, in just a moment. And when I lead you in worship this time, connect with God, but then open your eyes and look around at your brothers and sisters. As you worship, I want you to be looking at people. Ministry does this all the time. Not just because we're facing you. This is how ministry operates. And I want you to look at people, brothers and sisters. And when God begins to move on you with compassion for somebody in this place, then I want you to stand beside them as we'll be in the altar. Go over beside them and begin to pray in the Spirit. And fight for them. Confessing ourselves one to another. Bringing ourselves and the elders and the leaders. And we're going to lose this power. We're going to use this power prayer. For greater effectiveness than perhaps what we've ever been able to walk in. Okay. So this is how we're going to do it then. I'm going to lose you to worship. And then I'm going to tell you to open your eyes. Keep your eyes open. And when you see somebody, catch their eye. Bring them down to the altar. Take them by the hand. Bring them down to the altar. And let's just operate as we see Jesus operating. Worship's there. Beholding. Compassion's there. And gifts of the Spirit flowing for prayer, for intercession. And if you feel strongly to pray for the things that I'm speaking for this church and for this weekend, restoration, renewal, then get your eyes on the lost prodigals and the lost people of this region and just begin to intercede wherever that is. Okay? So... I'm going to ask you to right now just begin to worship. You can pray in the spirit if you're there. Just begin to flow.
Now go ahead and open your eyes. It's okay. And look at your brothers and sisters. Look at your pastor and pastor's wives. Look at, look at your leaders. Look at your, look at your friends in the house as they're worshiping. And when God begins to move on you with compassion for somebody, bring them down to the altar, begin to pray for them. The prayers together are going to be more effective than they've ever been by themselves. You need a healing, you need a miracle. There's a, somebody that wants to pray passionate for you. You need a restoration in this place. You need a renewal of the Holy Ghost in this house. Somebody needs to come down the front and begin to pray for a lost and dying city. Somebody needs to find a prayer somewhere of intercession for a prodigal. That's it. Go ahead. This is ministry. Find someone to come down to the altar. Now, everyone's invited. Come on down to the altar. Find somebody as you're coming. Find somebody as you're coming. <laughs> By the authority of the word of God and the power of the name of Jesus, I loose you in Jesus' name. That's it, intercessor, lift up your voice. Intercessor, lift up your voice.